you didn't even have the decency, the manners to approach us and discuss the situation with us. We have given, some of them have given more than 10 years of their life of work to them and they've not been reapproached to, and they would do, they could reopen the place initially in a click of a fingers. Today on Dirty Linen, we are digging in to a situation that came to light, came to my attention through the pandemic and then I guess came to a head over the last few weeks. It's to do with a restaurant called Red Spice Road. Red Spice Road is an enormously popular restaurant in Melbourne that uh, closed in May due to the pandemic. A lot of stuff happened. They closed down, they went into liquidation and it was really sad. Uh, all their staff got sacked um, and a lot of people were left without their entitlements. In January, the restaurant, through its previous head chef, announced that it was reopening. This is pretty exciting news. This is a big restaurant for Melbourne. It seats 300 people. It's a massively popular birthday party destination, work party destination, famous for its pork belly, sort of pan-Asian menu. Uh, but the problem with the reopening is that none of the people who were sacked in May were invited to be part of this new new step on the Red Spice Road journey. They were left out in the cold and still without their money. This has been a particularly bad situation for the visa holders that were employed by Red Spice Road, and I'm talking to one of them today. Her name is Laura Dauphin. Welcome, Laura. Thank you. Thanks, Danny. So, Laura, we've been in touch a little bit through my um, overseas workers help group that I, um, yeah, started up last year. Um, and so I, I heard little snippets of your story along the way and, um, yeah, it hasn't been great. But tell us, put us in the picture, like set the scene for us. What, what were you doing at Red Spice Road and how has everything played out for you uh, through 2020 and, and up to now? Yeah, sure. I guess, I mean, it's a it's a bit of a, an emotional ride, like a lot of us in that situation, in the sense that when I joined the company, I felt very fortunate to be a part of it. And that was back in 2018. And I did a full year, literally, with them. And they hired me, like, you know, with what I had to give and everything, my experience, like, based from my provincial roles and so on. And I ended up, like the connection with them to me, which is why it's even harder, is that um, I went through my own um, literally personal situation and so they supported me with my visa and actually assisted to help me out so that it could happen and I could keep on working for them, which was absolutely amazing. So I'm grateful to them in that regard. I have to say it and I cannot and never will deny it. So it's just the, the backstab feeling when things went down the pan and to be turned around and have nothing left within such a short notice that actually hurts the most and not feeling any kind of support after having given so much for it, basically. So it's, it's that it was a very quick snap sort of backstab, I guess, in a way, you would put it that way. Um, so, yeah, so that's how it feels. Like, to sum it up, really, that's how it feels. Really. Mm. So, I mean, a lot of restaurants closed um, in 2020, you know, when we were in our first lockdown in Melbourne. Um, but uh, tell us what it was like at Red Spice Road. You know, were you doing takeaway? Were you still yes. there working? What was going on? 
Yes, of course. So, uh, I mean, we had fairly recently, back in November, relocated from MacKillop Street, the beloved 12 years old venue that we had, uh, to Queen Street in November, the 7th of November, to my head. Um, and then, obviously, we did the whole reopening, went through the whole Christmas season, great, amazing time, beautiful customers coming through doors. And then COVID happened, so things went down the pan towards the end of, well, towards the end of March for all of us in Melbourne or March time kind of thing. And we went straight away and tried to turn around the whole business into a takeaway and delivery as soon as we could and the fastest that we can, having a team being trimmed all the way through so that it was just a few of us standing to make sure the ship kept running kind of thing. Um, so, you know, I turned from no experience in managing websites, having to change the whole website and do the whole takeaway menus and putting it online, managing all deliveries, having the guys turning around from being, you know, managing the pass at the restaurant, which is a massive one for a restaurant that can sit, you know, up to 300 more in one sittings to just being drivers and so on we just used we just used all of us dipped in and pitched in to use all of our uh, our resources sorry to just make it happen so it was a few months of um, a turnaround of something that we none of us had ever done before uh, but we did it and our aim was to make it happen because at the end of the day we didn't know what was going to happen but we knew this had to happen to keep us in our jobs, keep the business going, keep the company going, it's reputation, which people love in Melbourne. Uh, and we put everything into it so that it could. And mm. I think we did to the, to the maximum, really. Yeah. So I guess, you know, from one perspective, you could say, well, you know, it was a big business. It was it had a massive turnover that declined rapidly. There was no opportunity to keep the business afloat, and it 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 ran out of money and it, and it had to close. I mean, that's what that's what you were told. I think right at the start of May, right? The dropkeeper, they couldn't wait for it to come around, uh, which wouldn't have affected me in a sense that I'm not entitled for it anyways. But for my all my colleagues and friends, um, they could, you know, I, I can't talk on behalf of any of the company's main people, obviously, because I'm not in the finance side of things. But, you know, from, from our point of view, it means that obviously it went on the pan. They didn't go through the whole dropkeeper situation and therefore, obviously, things wrapped up quite quickly. Mm. So I guess with JobKeeper, you know, the way that it's structured, the companies had to pay the employees and then they were reimbursed by the government. So it was a, a big initial outlay for any business. Uh, a lot of, you know, some people borrowed money to do it. You know, people scraped it together in whatever in whatever way they could if they wanted to keep their business going and to keep that connection with their staff. Red Spice Road um, decided not to do that for whatever reason. And the company that employed you, which is not called Red Spice Road, it's called Our Personnel, went into liquidation. So I suppose that, you know, from this point of view, it's just an unfortunate business story, the victim of the pandemic. But tell me about the January, what happened in January when you heard the restaurant was planning to reopen. So, yeah, whatever happened last year is like, as you exactly just stated, Danny, it's like a lot of business went through that. And Things happen, it was a tough time and we bounce for it. We try and make do as much as we can for all of us, whether it's the old staff that's uh, Australian residents or it's the temporary visa holders, we found our ways. But yeah, when you then come across January and I didn't find it myself, I just came across it. Actually, my partner just showed it to me. And when you see that, that's when I, I guess I had the anger 
and the frustration of what happened a year ago in terms of the government not willing to pay back. I'm not, and I'm not pointing at the government as such. I'm just the way this, just in the way the structure is done, that you know you get fag for Australian, but what about the people? I did give all my time to that company and the economy and the industry to keep it going to the best of my knowledge and, my, and put my skills into it. So then that was my frustration at the time. Not I'll just, I'll just stop, I'll just stop you for a sec, Laura, when you say yeah. FEG, so you're talking about the federal entitlement guarantee yes. and the federal right. entitlement guarantee is available to Australian citizens. Um, and if, if a business goes bust and it doesn't pay them their entitlement, so that's, let's say holiday pay, um, redundancy, uh, yeah, time in lieu of notice, then the federal federal government will actually pick that up and pay those monies owed on behalf of the business to the employee or the ex-employee. Mm-hmm. But That's if correct. you're a visa holder, which is your situation, mm-hmm. you are not entitled to that. So your entitlements, um, yeah, you just didn't get you didn't get a penny. That's correct. Which that's exactly right. Which I feel as a a professional of the industry, I have given exactly the same amount as my co-workers who got it. Um, So it feels not right not to get it. It doesn't matter whether you're temporary or not. You have been here. I've been in Australia for almost three years and I have given that time and all my investment into Australia for that for that kind of thing. So, so it just feels it just doesn't sit right. So that was my frustration back at the time, which is when you and I I reached out actually to you just to have a little bit of a vent and let it out. And I'm grateful for you being there for all that. But yeah, that January announcement obviously came as. A, more of a, a, a nice uh, it was just like a nasty hit in the face in the sense that it's like to me it came across in the sense that I understand you can't hire me again because um, as a temporary visa holder you'll have to go through a sponsorship um, entitlement as a company again which as probably the new structure that they've done they don't have uh, so I will 100% understand that they can't do that they can't hire any of us temporary visa holder that's my guessing there again um, which okay fine all right um, but then there are all the other staff that are actually permanent Australians whether they are Australians or on a PR or whatever I know a lot of them and they could do an amazing job at going back there my point, and that's what I was saying, discussing it a few days ago, like over everything that's happened, it's just like you didn't even have the decency, the manners to approach us and discuss the situation with us. We have given, some of them have given more than 10 years of their life of work to them, and they've not been reapproached. To, and they would do, they could reopen the place literally in a click of a fingers. And they've never even thought about what about we reach out to the person and try and talk them through and see how we could work together to do it. We understand what happened a year ago, less than a year ago, really. Um, it was unfortunate and that's fine, but could we work together because we know your skills, we know your knowledge, and we know you could actually help us in that regard. But they've not even approached any of us. And I think that's what was really nasty is just not acknowledging the previous staff that could get back on board and it's not having the manners to get to the the temporary visa holders and tell them we're very sorry we are actually planning to reopen but we we can't get you but we want you to be aware and that if we could we would do it that's all i ask honestly wow laura i mean you say 
I think you're being pretty generous in saying that they couldn't do it, and I, I understand what what you're talking about. So you were you were employed by them, and we you were the reservations and events manager. Is that was that your job, job title? So and you were sponsored to do that role, which means that the business has to go through a process and show that they're not able to find anyone locally to do that job and they pay some money, you pay some money and um, that you get a, a visa, which basically ties you to that employer. So it's you're in a very precarious position if that business doesn't continue to employ you. Can you just explain what happens if yes. um, if you're in the situation that you found yourself in? Yeah, it's a it's a very it's 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 hurtful in the way that it puts you on a deadline, a very short one. Um, so when it all happened, obviously um, end of April, I was stood down. I was one of the last. It was two of us on temporary temporary visa um, at the end of April, still on. So more the head chef was still on, and myself on very limited hours to keep the business going with the main duties and so on. Um, I was then obviously called into a meeting and was stood down. And actually, the first one of the first things that I said was like, "I'm actually that's not the worst answer I expected. I actually thought we were closing down and that I would lose my visa." So that's what I actually said on the mm. video conference to Sydney. I actually said that's not like the person uh, on the other side uh, was very like sorry for me saying i'm really sorry to tell you that and i said to her literally don't worry it's actually not the worst i expected at least i still have my visa i can be stood down my colleagues can get job keeper and i will work myself through some kind of options i don't know yet i'll work it out um but then literally a week later we were announced that the whole business was going um to closure so therefore that gave me in my head i knew exactly what was going on as a temporary temporary visa holder, I was just over a year into my sponsorship as well. I still had another year to go for. And so that gave me um, 60 days to either, as you've stated before in other, uh, other articles, to find a new visa, a new sponsorship, or to get out of the country. So that... I'm an events manager. I'm sponsored under the occupation of conference and events organizer. That's what I do. That's what I've done for many years in the UK. So obviously, given the COVID restrictions and no events happening, they, I knew 60 days ahead, there was no chance of me getting a new sponsorship. There was nothing, nothing, basically. Not many conferences, not many events that need organising no. in a no. pandemic. Yeah. So, Laura, what did you do in terms of um, getting being able to stay in Australia? Yeah, I well, I had to look at, as you you can imagine, many many options. Um, I've got a wonderful immigration lawyer that helped me out going through my options to understand what could be on the board given what was happening and so on. So we had a good chat about all that. And, I mean, the options were, were very much narrowed down to basically you get lucky and you find another sponsorship, whether it's Melbourne or regional or even another territory because different restrictions were applied to different territory in Australia. Um, or my other past was going down the student visa, which I've got my uh, bachelor degree in events management, um, and I can always add on to that. There's always skills to add to it, which is exactly what I decided to do because I literally worked through the 60 days to the last bit of it to try and get a sponsorship because I'm more of a professional than an academic mm. person, so I really wanted to do the work bit of it because that's what I love. I've got the passion for actually delivering uh, the experience. 
Um, unfortunately, given everything, that didn't work out. Um, so, yeah, I went on literature just down to a few days off my 60 days, uh, the, the student path. So I've just added on a um, social media marketing degree to uh, my, my CV, which is very beneficial anyway. So I'm very grateful for it. It got me a year in Australia. It's a pandemic. It's a worldwide pandemic. So I had to think through options to use that time the right way, basically. So going back to Europe for me, it's not that it's not an option. It's that it's not beneficial whatsoever. I've left so long ago that to me, investing the time and everything into study and staying in Australia was a lot more beneficial. And then it was just a question of saying in my head, let's see what happens when we go through it. And now mm. it's been almost a year. <laughs> Yeah. So one of the issues with uh, with going on to a student visa is that you're then only allowed to work 40 hours a fortnight, right? That's correct, exactly. Yeah, you're limited in terms of hours, which um, I think for a lot of students could be, I mean, I guess I'm a different, potentially one of the different kind of student, as in I'm not just studying something and working a side job to get money in like some could be I'm guessing I'm actually I'm a hospitality person I've been the whole of my life because that's my parents background I grew up in the industry from the age of six years old so mm. it's, it's actually in my blood kind of thing uh, and I've just built on it and found my passion into um, into events and so on um, so when that happened that I had to go back to being a student, I was like, okay, I'll just add on something that I'd like to actually add to my CV, which is marketing. It's a big lack from my perspective that I'd like to really push into. So it is beneficial for sure. But yes, it has the restraint of my experience is manager's level. And obviously when you hire a student on 20 hours, you it's not going to work. When you hire a manager, I would guess as a business, you would look for someone who is full-time available and so on. I don't have that availability to them. It just feels like it's hard to find someone who will be willing to hire you as a manager level, but on a part-time level. So I think I got very fortunate and I got that role um, at the current winery I'm at. And they're happy for me to be there at part-time job because they only open a few days a week, given the restrictions. They used to operate seven days a week, but it's now down to four days. So I'm only doing a couple of days to basically cover the 20 hours and they're supporting me in that regard so hmm. but yeah I can't imagine that it'd be hard it'd be difficult I can't imagine sorry that it would, it would be difficult for any other students depending on their levels and so on but there's such a range of options and limited choices in a way that it makes the match very difficult to make I think uh, right now. And Laura how much money are you owed? Uh, 11 and a half, a little bit more, 11,560, something like that. So, yeah, more than $11,000. And yes. is that made up of annual leave? Or what, what's that made up of? Yes, that's correct. So that's made up of, uh, well, the redundancy, obviously, because they went into liquidation. So there's the redundancy payment in there, uh, which is 5000 And then there is annual leave, there is personal leave, um, and all that kind of that jazz. Mm. Yeah. So in a way, I mean... I got, I felt I'm the one, I joined the company on literally the 6th of May and then got made redundant on the 5th of May. So I literally wrapped up a year uh, with them. Um, but yeah, so I'm one of the uh, lowest end of things, I guess. Um, but there's so many other of my colleagues who are also my friends that owed a lot more and have given a lot more time to it. So it's just, it's not about me, it's about them and us basically and all the others out there. Well, I know that Mo, the head chef, is owed almost $40,000. Yes. 
Um, she was there a long time and she was also on the pathway to permanent residency with Red Spice Road. And so, you know, you've lost your sponsorship and, you know, you've gone through all the difficulties that you've gone through as you've outlined so eloquently, but she also has uh, back to zero with, um, with the pathway to permanent residency. And it just really highlights how vulnerable people are. Certainly, you know, people who come here on a temporary visa in any that are under any kind of visa, but I think you know the the sponsored workers are in a particularly vulnerable position because whatever pathway they're on and whatever entitlement they have to stay in Australia is is locked to their their employer. Exactly, that's 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 very much it. Um, I think that's the that's the very 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 hard part. It's like you said, like Mo was on her road to PR. I was literally halfway through my first visa, and the visa I was on could also grant me the company's happy to keep on working and sponsoring me, get me another two years as well. So it just twists around your future in a very nasty way. So obviously Mo is having to change her perspective on everything and look at all the options. It's the same with me and as her and I am not speaking for herself obviously but we all have different personal and private lives and we have to look around and look back and like am I gonna lose you know I've redone my private life in the sense that I've got a future I'm looking forward to but now I actually don't know where it's going I and it's not just me that is affecting it's all the people in my private life and we don't know whether it's going to crumble apart or not and I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not saying that it was granted in the first place because at the end of the day we do come in on a temporary visa and we know it's temporary uh, but to have it shuttered in front of your eyes like that instead of having definitely two years potentially four years going down to you've got 60 days that's a very, very, very different step into the life of personal, like the personal life of different peoples and how they are managing everything. You're just having to turn things around in a way that you don't even know how to do it. Um, yeah. So that's that's also one of the hardest bits. It's, what do you think, Laura? Like, do you, so the owner of the company, Andrew Cameron, um, who liquidated our personnel, the company that paid you, um, not the same company that actually owns Red Spice Road, which is the Apples and Pears group. It's a very complicated structure and I don't even know much about this stuff. So I've dug into it because <laughs> I guess because I, I feel so much for people on visas that I've, you know, written a story about it that was in the age and I'm chasing it down. I'm talking to all you people. I've spoken to Andrew, the owner. I've, I've spoken to John McClay, the head chef that has come back to the restaurant to reopen it. And I mean, I suppose I always go into these stories and you feeling like, well, surely everyone's just trying to do the right thing because surely wouldn't people just be decent and, you know, it's just their business failed, you know, what a drag, like, but now they'll try to fix it and make everything okay and help the people out that they should help out. I mean, what's your read on it? Like, is it, it are they, do they just not see it the same way that I do? Yeah, I know, right? Exactly. Do they? Do they not? I don't know. It's a, honestly, and um, because it's so many things into it, obviously, as you can imagine. But yeah, exactly. When it happened, and I honestly was like, I'm not the business owners. I don't want to go through the financial situation. And I appreciate sometimes you just, you got to cut the tap because you just can't. End up, end up, you have a family and everything. And I respect that. And I was, regardless of everything else, and how upset I was about everything. I was like, 
it is what it is. I'll find a way or I'll just, you know, go back to Europe, whatever it is. And I had parked it. But when that happened and I see that, I'm like, do you not understand what's gone through everybody's life for the mm. last few months? And you have the, um, I don't want to be rude on a podcast. <laughs> and you have the, the, um, the, the, the courage, I guess. No, it's not courage. It's not. It's not. It's you have the audacity to actually go and say, we're happy to reopen. When I know, and if I may say, top of my head, unless I've got it wrong, but I don't see why it would, all the people, like not all of them, because some did go back to their country and some, but a lot of them on temporary visa who are not owned any, who are not going to get any of their money, are actually still in Australia. So you're posting this and they will hear about it. And you, you've got no issues with that. I mean, yeah, I, I don't get it. Exactly. Why would you do that? And that goes back to my point earlier, Danny, about saying to me, it's all down to manners. If at least you had had the conversation with us to say, this is what's happening. We understand and we're sorry. What just, it's just a talking thing to me. It's conversation. That's why I put it all down for a lot of what I do in my work. It's down to conversation and understanding and trying to get to know each other and whatever else. But there was none of that. I didn't mention earlier, they were, not to you, but one of my colleagues actually applied for one of the jobs and he was not even replied to. He didn't get any acknowledgement that he applied for a position. He's a great staff, did a great job for many years at the company and got nothing as in thanks. I'm not going to quote names and that's up to him to decide, but it's like you don't even have... The, yeah, the, I, I, I the decency. Word to, yeah, exactly. I can't even put word to it, but you don't even have the, the exact decency to actually approach these people and you have that initial conversation. Because if you were keen about the, the company and rebuilding it and so on, you'd want to protect your reputation. And it's, your reputation as a business starts with your staff because they're the one that represents you. We are the one that actually worked and represented you. And, and I have to say, you know, having eaten at Red Spice Road, it was... The, the staff, and I'm sure it's credit to you and also to um, Christian Price, who was the general manager who we will get on the podcast this week, the staff was really good. Like it was um, it was it such is. a big beast of a restaurant and there was a really, I thought it really felt like a team. It felt like people who really believed in what they were doing. It felt, and I mean, I would go to a lot of restaurants. I feel, you know, I, I give myself a little bit of credit for being able to understand what's going on um, to some degree and... Yeah, it just felt like this was there was these were people who were really well trained, really schooled up in the the project of the restaurant, and they were trying their very very best to deliver. And it was a beast of a place. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, so so the honestly, sorry, Danny, it's a credit to the staff that I worked with. But you know, I had a year with them, and the staff on the floor, I can't give enough credit to them. They all they are all individuals character and they are all so amazing at what they do so different but complementing each other knew how to adapt to a table and cater for the guests read them and do what was necessary i've i've had so many functions and events weddings and so on at the new venue and whatever else small weddings and whatever it was it doesn't matter but the feedback i get it was always about the staff and the person obviously there's the food and everything that goes with it but the staff is what also drives your experience through and you can't deny that and our team was built on we knew how to 
work together and fit the right people in the right place depending on what was happening and i can't give them enough credits because i was always so proud of so proud of sharing my feedback with the team saying please like to all my colleagues manager restaurant manager whatever bar and so on please share that with the team because they just so deserve it. They are so good at it. It's like, it's so nice to work in a place where you know your staff is just nailing it every time pretty much. Yeah. So it's yeah. Like you can't. So the ads that were um, up on Seek, the employment website, were so the ads were put up by Clifton's, which is another company that's associated with um, with this business, with Andrew Cameron's businesses. And some of the um, criteria that are listed on this ad are that that you will take pride in your workplace and be a great brand ambassador for Red Spice Road, that you have impeccable presentation and a positive attitude, that you have the ability to work in a high-pressure environment and keep smiling. I mean, it's like, you know, these, these people don't just, like, fall in the door randomly. It's like you really, these are, you really want, skilled people that actually already exist out there that know the business um it also says we highly value our employees and offer a fun and exciting team environment with exceptional training and career development opportunities a great salary and excellent benefits so the great salary that um these people are going to get and the excellent benefits well they'll get they'll get some of your money before you get it hey laura yeah pretty much i mean i'm guessing i don't remember it it was a while back now but i'm guessing that's probably the ad i went for myself it's probably a copy and paste let's put it that way um so yeah uh that's you know it wouldn't be that wouldn't apply to the current situation but back in the days when i applied for the company yes it was like that and i yeah i got i got what it says on the book until literally end of april 20 mm. whatever so yeah nowadays no 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 <laughs> Yeah, basically. Laura, um, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, I'm glad that you've, you know, landed more or less on your feet. I think Australia is so lucky that you're still here, you know, sharing your skills and experience and enthusiasm for the hospitality industry. I mean, you're exactly the kind of person that I think the sponsorship visas are there for, people who can really add to the industry. Um, So... It's really only because of your tenacity and a bit of good luck um, that you've stayed here and you haven't been um, shunted off by the way that you've been treated. So mm-hmm. thanks for sticking thanks for sticking around. No, <laughs> I really thanks for wish you all the best. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's all. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing place and um, I'd, I'd hope to be able to give actually, to have the option to be able to give more to it. So, yeah, for sure. It's a beautiful place. All right. Well, thanks for sharing your story, and um, yeah, we'll we'll go out, we'll go out for dinner sometime, but maybe not to Red Spice Road. No, I don't think so, right? But yes, we will definitely somewhere <laughs> else. <laughs> Thank you very much, Dani. I appreciate everything you've done for all of us. It's um, yeah. There's no words, literally. There's no words. This is Dirty Linen, and I'm Dani Valant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production. Just keep going because it's just, yeah, keep going. And we're working with uh, uh, 
a crew that has created a, a crew.